Let us pray. Father God, thank you for the promises contained in your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. As we explore your word this morning, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand it and live by it. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I have put, uh, called this morning's talk, uh, The God Who Keeps His Promises. Next Sunday is Advent Sunday, the season when we look towards recalling the events of Jesus' birth, but also focusing on the promise that one day he's going to come again. It also traditionally marks the start of the new church year. So that makes this Sunday the end of the current church year. Like any new year, it's an ideal time to look back both on the past year, but also to look forward to a fresh new church year. What opportunities will it hold for us individually and as a congregation of God's people? When I looked at the lectionary readings this morning, it amazed me just how much of the gospel story and gospel history and the gospel message are contained in the four suggested readings. The two we have heard already alone look at Zechariah's song of praise to God, praising him for the Messiah who is about to come, and for the future part his son John the Baptist, at this time only eight days old, would have in preparing the way for the Messiah. The second reading, on the other hand, comes at the end of Jesus' life and talks his crucifixion, the culmination of God's rescue plan to offer humanity salvation, one sacrifice once and for all, the fulfillment of God's promises. This morning I want to focus on Zechariah's hymn of praise, but before doing that, I just want to look quickly at Jesus' crucifixion and to look at one of the other lectionary readings from Colossians to provide a bit of more context to Zechariah's song. Jesus' crucifixion illustrates the different responses to the gospel message. I don't think anyone would argue that Jesus didn't deserve to die on the cross. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, so that our relationship with God could be restored, so that we could be part of his heavenly kingdom. And that's the whole salvation message. But let's look at the other two people who are being crucified with Jesus for a moment. However we may feel about capital punishment, the one thing that we do have to say is that there were two criminals hanging on the cross beside Jesus. They had been found guilty of their crimes, and they were being punished according to the culture of the time. But why does the gospel writer include those two criminals at all? Well, consider for a moment their conversations with Jesus. One, like the crowds, like the Roman authorities, like the Jewish Sadducees and Pharisees, mocked Jesus, didn't believe the message he brought, didn't believe that he was the Messiah. The other, though, defended Jesus, recognized Jesus as the Messiah, and made the plea, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. In Colossians 1, 11-20, Paul explores the person of Christ, writing about the supremacy of Christ. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things invisible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Here, Paul is writing to the church of Colosse, where the early church there was experiencing a lot of false teaching. The gospel message was being mixed and combined with the philosophy and cultural thinking of the time. The truth of Jesus was being watered down, diluted, perhaps even lost to many. Paul is attempting to address this by stating what they needed to know. They needed to know Jesus, to know who he was, that he was the only way to the Father, the only way to become part of God's kingdom. Paul is writing about the gospel story and the gospel message after the events. So he is writing for having had that gospel history occurring. In our passage this morning, though, Zechariah is praising God for his faithfulness and the fulfillment of his promises before the events. And his words form another of the early Christian hymns, rather like those words from Colossians. Not just that, but Zechariah is making reference to the whole of biblical history, the whole of God's relationship with his people throughout history, announcing that God's promise is about to be fulfilled. The Messiah is about to come. God is fulfilling his promises. Let's just for a moment, though, look at the background to this song. Zechariah was a priest, and his wife, Elizabeth, was childless. Luke 1, verse 7, tells us they were both well on in years. The angel Gabriel visited Zechariah to say that Elizabeth would have a child in her old age, and that that child would grow up to lead the people back to God, and prepare the way for the Messiah. Zechariah, although a priest, didn't have complete faith in God, and in complete faith in the message, rather. And therefore, he lost his power of speech until his, the birth of his son, a period of nine months. Imagine what it would be like not being able to communicate with someone in words. What would you do? What did Zechariah do? We don't know because the gospel writer doesn't include those details. Well, nine months passed and Elizabeth gave birth to a baby boy. Actually, it's probably where the term bouncing baby boy, because he was filled from the, with the spirit before birth 
And when the news of Jesus, um, Mary's um, becoming expectant of Jesus, it, um, John the Baptist bounced about in his mother's womb. So that's maybe where the term bouncing baby comes from. Well, nine months passed and Elizabeth gave birth to a baby boy. The crowds rejoiced because God had answered Zechariah in Elizabeth's prayer. No doubt they recognized the similarities to God's faithfulness in answering Abraham and Sarah's prayer so many generations previously. On the eighth day after the birth, the time came for John's circumcision and dedication, the naming ceremony in the temple. Elizabeth instructed that the child should be called John. This astounded the crowd. They were expecting the child to be called Zachariah. They appealed to Zechariah, who still had no power of speech. So Zechariah wrote the words on a tablet. His name is John. Immediately, Zechariah's power of speech was restored. And our words from our reading this morning are the first that he announces. These are the first words Zechariah speaks after his period of silence. And rather like Mary's Magnificat, They are words that praise God for his works and his faithfulness in keeping his promises. It would take numerous talks to fully examine the words of Zechariah's hymn. I just want to spend a few minutes concentrating on one or two of the verses. The song can be split into two sections. The first few verses, 68-75, praise God for fulfilling his promises about the Messiah. The second part focuses on the part Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, would have in preparing the way for Jesus. It wasn't actually part of our reading, but going to the verse previously, verse 67 says, His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. So often we think of the Holy Spirit as someone who arrived on the disciples at Pentecost. But here he is enabling and empowering Zechariah to prophesy about the power and promises of God. The Holy Spirit being part of the Trinity alongside the Father and the Son has been fully active throughout history. What follows in this hymn is a wealth of Old Testament scripture knitted together through the power of the Holy Spirit to declare the time for the arrival of the Messiah that was to come. In his song, Zechariah takes numerous quotes from the Psalms, from Samuel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Micah, Genesis, Isaiah, and Malachi, above others. Many of those readings we'll hear over the coming few weeks leading up to Christmas. Basically, it's the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises God made with regards to the Messiah. Verses 68 and 69. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. A direct quote from Psalm 111. The Messiah would come to redeem his people, to pay the penalty that people deserved for their sinfulness, to offer the kind of sacrifice that would truly repay the debt. One sacrifice, once and for all. Zechariah goes on. 
He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The horn of salvation represents a symbol of power, a symbol of strength, a force used to push or scatter or destroy Israel's enemies and save them from harm. This verse also says that this horn comes from the house of David. We know that Jesus descended from King David. I looked at verse 70 as well, which says, as he, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, I was, I questioned why they were in brackets. Because usually brackets have a bit of in, additional information, not essential, that could be taken out. And I wondered about these brackets. Were these words added by the gospel reader to add clarity? Or did Zechariah speak these words to highlight the, or, the origin of and effectively giving the message? Look, the prophets have said this is going to happen hundreds of years ago, and it's happening right now. Look, everything is coming true. Was Zechariah wondering about the doubt that people would have? After all, he'd had his own doubts about Gabriel's message, and he received that directly. That quote in verse 70 is from Jeremiah 23. As he said through his prophets long ago, God's promises are made consistently throughout the Bible and constantly. These verses tell us that the Savior comes to fulfill God's covenant. Verses 71 to 75, salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Those verses tell us that the Savior would bring deliverance and also that the Savior would enable service to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Jesus calls for a response to the salvation he offers. Zechariah is telling the Messiah is coming to restore that relationship to God the Father. The second section examines the role of Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, the, the role he would take in preparing the way for the Messiah. He says, addressing John, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the path of peace. God keeps his promises. God is faithful. Zechariah praised God for his faithfulness in sending the Messiah and for the part his son would play in preparing the way for Jesus. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. Jesus is going to return one day. And there's not going to be a John the Baptist to prepare the way. 
Jesus is going to come one day like a thief in the night. John prepared the way for the Messiah. But through his ministry and through his teaching, through his sacrifice and resurrection, Jesus has already prepared the way for us to accept his gift of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He left us with the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. At the end of this church year, and as we look forward to Advent, let us individually reflect on God's faithfulness and on the work that he calls us to do. Amen. God, our Father, we give thanks for the faithfulness of your promises and the assurance they bring. Thank you for Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, that we can be saved through him. Help us to give testimony to your faithfulness in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We continue in response to what we've heard this morning, that God indeed is faithful. He keeps his promises. He kept his promise to Zechariah and Elizabeth. He kept his promise to Mary that he would send a saviour to this world, a messiah, someone who is humble to be a king. So we're going to continue to think of God and his promises to us as we put into practice what we've heard and apply it to our lives. How do we move forward today? Well, we move forward by keeping God central in our lives, by casting our eyes to him and by bowing at his throne, looking to him for all that we need. So we're going to sing, first of all, um, we're going to sing, God, I look to you. Please take a seat as we continue in an act of worship. Please be seated. There's papers that are coming round. And um, they've got a promise of God, direct from the Bible. Each one of them is different. Each one of them is different. But we, we have our own favorite verses. And I believe that God can speak to us in our time of need. And so please take a verse and ask if God can speak to you through one of those promises. Promises from his word. And a promise that he will not fail. So let's continue to sing. Amen. What amazing words that God's love will never run out. I wonder if we can actually comprehend that this morning. That God's love never runs out and he never gives up on us. And I pray that the promise that you've received this morning will be a blessing to you. Or if you feel that you could pass it on to somebody else and it could be God's word for somebody close to you at this time.